Well, welcome to Churches Cancelled. I'm your co-host, Brett, here uh, joined by my co-host, Dr. Bombay. And uh, today we're doing something unique, something special we've never done before. We are having a guest on. Uh, we are joined by a, another doctor, I, be, I believe uh, in contrast to Dr. Bombay, a real doctor. Uh, I, mean, they, <laughs> I treat people's feet save, I'm a podiatrist. Save your rebuttal for later, Dr. Bombay. Uh, today, enough. we are joined by a longtime friend of mine, former New Testament professor, now radical theologian and author, who will be discussing her book with us. Uh, the title of the book is uh, Safer Than the Known Way, Dr. Maria Francesca French. Maria, how are you? <laughs> I'm so good. I'm really excited to be on this podcast with you guys today. You shouldn't be, but okay. I am. I am so ready for this ride. Well, first of all, Brett and I go way back and I have such a fondness and an affection for Brett. Um, and Danny, I don't know you super well, but I Fine. think you're hilarious. And <laughs> okay. I think we're going to have a really good time today. So I'll take it. I, I, I hope we are. I sure hope so. Well, I so, mean, obviously we'll get in the thick of things too, but I think it's going to be unlike a podcast or interview I've done thus far on this book. So, high expectations well, let's, let's for you it. too. So kick it into gear here. Please lower them. This is what <laughs> I tell women all the time. Whatever your expectations <laughs> on me, let's just get rid of those right away. It's the only path to happiness and peace. Uh, so yeah, let's let's jump in. I wanted to give a little bit of a, uh, a background and then just hear your uh, sum, summation yeah. of, the, of the book, Maria. So I think our, our background, like I said, you were my New Testament professor when I was attending North Central University, formerly North Central Bible College. Mm -hmm. Man, when was I there? I graduated in 2014. I think you were one of the, in my, my first year, freshman or sophomore. So yeah, it would have had to be 2012 or so when mm -hmm. we had met. Yeah. So we're now in 2023. We've Crazy. kept in contact um, a little bit here and there uh, as mm -hmm. we could as you're all over the world. You're in, where are you now? Paris at the moment. <laughs> Paris, Tennessee. One of my favorite places in Tennessee. Um, it's I'm, a really good town. I'm, I'm just, I'm not too far away. I'm in Bucharest <laughs> at the moment. I, uh, my employer is detained. So for the next month or so, so I'm here. Fabulous. Uh, Paris, France. That's yeah, cool. Paris, France. Absolutely. What are you doing there? Um, having some time away. You know, my husband and I, um, my husband of a little over two years, we live in the UK. He's British. And I'm having a very big birthday this week, my 40th birthday in a few days from now. And, Whoa. you know, I love France. Um, I think, you know, I've lived in south of France. Um, I'm back and forth to Paris fairly frequently. Um, but we just said, let's do Paris for a full month. Let's just go there for more than a week or two. Um, let's pretend like, you know, we live there. So that's what we're doing here. And plus, um, my book release happened just a few days ago. And so there's just a lot to celebrate. Yes. We were excited. We both work from our laptops, so we can work from anywhere in the world. The freedom's freedom's great. So yeah, we're awesome. here. Awesome. Tell us the title of the book again, and we'll go from there. Yeah. So the title of the book is Safer Than the Known Way, A Post-Christian Journey. And it's just come out. What, what does post-Christian mean to you? Yeah, so that is like the million-dollar question. That is the question that everyone's asking. Um, and you just open up a can of worms to even start with that, that question yeah. from the beginning. But 
but let's let's do it. I mean, it could definitely be a whole podcast. It's definitely at the very least a whole book, right? <laughs> so, um, but essentially, I use post Christian in a way where I have not really seen it used before. Typically, when people talk about post Christian or post Christian culture, you know, they're referencing atheism, they're referencing secular humanism, at the very least, secular godless culture and ideas of life and meaning making and all of these things. But for me, I use post Christian in a way that, you know, some theologians and philosophers would use a term like post-theism or post-God, really post-belief, post-anything, um, because it's it's a very different thing to say um, you're post-theist as opposed to atheist, atheist, or even agnostic or theist. You know, those things all have constructs that are really centered and grounded in the idea of the existence of God and the being of God and a lot of metaphysical and supernatural realities. And when you say something like post-Christian, you're still attaching yourself to this narrative that has shaped you and formed you in some way, but you're saying you're past it and you're engaging it as you're past it. You're engaging God, you're engaging faith, you're engaging Christianity, you're engaging all of these things. Um, very differently uh, because your orientation has changed to to the story and to you know the idea of faith. So in that sense, we're we're after Christianity. We're engaging Christianity after it. We're engaging God after God. And when I say God, I mean the big G God. You know, the God that lives in the sky, that is an interventionist God, a personal God. Um, that big G God. We're engaging little G God after big G God. So that is sort of a little crash course on how I would describe post-Christianity, but of course it's a rabbit hole and I could keep going, but I'll stop there for now. That's all right. <laughs> I think, I think. Did that get us going, first, you guys? <laughs> that's going to do more than get us going. Yeah. I think you first uh, <laughs> mentioned uh, some ideas of post-Christianity to me, maybe around 2018 or so. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Bombay had fled Texas already, <laughs> leaving me alone and uh, hopeless and uh, I remember having conversations about post-Christianity and you had mentioned some authors that you reference in your book. Mm -hmm. uh, you quote and reference uh, Caputo mm -hmm. quite a bit. Um, mm -hmm. Derrida, is that how you yeah, correctly Derrida. pronounce? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't remember the anatheism, is it Carney? Kearney? Yeah, well done. Uh, so I, I remember reading some of that back then in 2018, you do had mentioned it. Now reading your book, and seeing you synthesize their material, it made a lot more sense to me. I think uh, when I first heard about post-Christianity from you, I was thinking like, this is a new uh, sect or religion or denomination or something like that. Um, but at, going through it again, I feel like I realized it's, it's, not, it's nothing new. There's no new doctrine we're required to believe in post-Christianity. Uh, it's more of a, just a moving on and through and past uh, the what I've experienced in Christianity, continuing the narrative uh, of my story, stepping into the darkness, as you reference, and um, knowing, as you said, it holds more truth and enlightenment than the absolutes and certainties of Christianity or the religions, and beginning where you end, as I think you say a little bit later in your book to kind of uh, yeah. quote you loosely. Yeah. Does that sound fair? Yeah, very I'm fair. I'm kind of understanding you it. Clearly now. read the book. Nice. <laughs> clearly read the book. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I thumbed so, through the screener. Don't say that I didn't. <laughs> Danny looked at the cover art. He said it looked cool. 
Uh, I, I don't know I'm what you, you. I'm glad you like the cover. The, yeah. yeah, I'm glad you like the cover. It's gotten a lot of press. <laughs> Maria, you said uh, in the beginning that you wrote this book for Christians who feel mm -hmm. lost and theologically homeless. That yeah. resonated with me. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So essentially, you know, I wrote a book that I wish I had like 20 years ago, at the very least 15 years ago. So I read, I wrote the book for a past version of me and a present and future version of my readers and anyone who might need this book. Um, for me, you know, I got to a time in my life, um, in every era of my life, including, you know, the, the faith and the Christian and the theological part of life, where I really felt like I was coasting. Things were changing for me, uh, you know, philosophically and theologically speaking, and I just wasn't sure about things. I, the one thing I was sort of sure about was atheism was not going to be a good fit for me. Um, I was not willing to say God exists first, absolutely, or he doesn't exist. Absolutely. You know, I wasn't willing to check my entire spiritual narrative at the door. And by that, I just mean, you know, when people are Christians, especially of a more fundamental brand, like evangelicalism or, you know, charismatic denominations, whatever, um, it, you tend to really stake your entire identity in your beliefs. And when those beliefs start to falter or flail, or even, you know, fade into the background a bit, really, truly an identity crisis ensues. And there are a lot of people falling through the cracks who really have moved past traditional notions of Christianity, but atheism is just not good enough and has long been, you know, stale and boring and very much past its sell-by date. Um, and so, yeah, this, this book has been written for a lot of people who feel like the very modern, and by modern, I mean binary choices that have been put in front of them are simply, not only are they not good enough, but they just cannot hold the, the full dimensionality and complexity um, that our humanity requires. So this, this, is, this book is um, for, for them, in, in a sense, really anyone who's interested in any kind of faith, even if you're an atheist. You know, in thumbing through the, the screener, I, I noticed that you um, repeat the, the title of the book quite frequently. Is this a cult brainwashing tactic? <laughs> uh, no, you know, um, a few people that I had edited the book asked me about that. And for me, it's, it's, a, it's a creative choice. It's a sort of a poetic um, move on my part, I guess, to just say this, this, and this, as I see it, is safer than the no. Because I think that the title has intrigued a lot of people. You know, if you read the introduction, I talk about where the title comes from and specifically, you know, the inspiration for that. But then I go on to reauthor it and I go on to give it real depth. Um, and so by, you know, reiterating the title throughout the book, it just further opens up, you know, the path that is safer than the known way. See, I just did it there. <laughs> Maria, don't, don't you think it's safer, at least a lot of people, they cling to their, their doctrines and their beliefs and their certainties because that makes them feel safe. And yeah. when you tell someone, no, it's safer to step off the, the cliff into the unknown, don't you think they're going to say, no, you got to be out of your mind? Yeah, <laughs> I do. Um, I do. You know, it's... You know, it's, it's an interesting thing right now. Um, part of the reason why I wrote this book at this point in time is because, 
you know, there is a tire, an entire movement at a pop culture level that is going by the term deconstruction. And essentially what they're doing is, you know, they're dismantling, they're disentwining, you know, even deconverting and, you know, de demyth the, de, de um, God, myth of, mythologizing. Thank you. Demythologizing. <laughs> Thank you. You're going to have to edit that part. Out. No, I can't do it. Or not leave it in. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're deconverting and they're dismantling from, they're disentangling, they're de-evolving, de there's a lot of D's happening in this deconstruction conversation. Um, and, oh, see, now I'm just, I've just totally thrown myself off. Um, yeah, what, but, you know, I... Sorry, go back to that original question, because there was a reason why I was going down that. Oh, right. Sorry, the safer piece. Right. Yeah, isn't so, it safer to have it, some doctrine to cling to? Yeah. So like right now with this big pop culture conversation on deconstruction and people are just leaving evangelicalism and like the wider, you know, Christian understanding of church really in mass. Um, it, it's, there's a very kind of quick turnaround to rebuild up something in its place, because I think there needs to be that tethering, that anchoring, you know, we, we dismantle from something really toxic, but we still want to sort of keep ourselves connected um, in some ways. And that's okay. But I think we need to be very real and honest about what it is we're doing, uh, which is, you know, our, our addiction to certainty, our kind of intrinsic human need to know, and that all feels really safe, but it's, it's not an overnight thing. And, you know, I say even towards the end of the book, like, you know, this is essentially, a lifelong commitment to unraveling some of the stuff with no promise, with no guarantee that you're ever going to arrive, you know, anywhere of note, but the journey in its in, in and of itself is theological, you know, to not to be trite, but the journey in and of itself is sort of a destination. If you needed one, the point is to journey and to traverse and to this is a Miley Cyrus song about that. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Oh. It's the, it's, it's, the climb. Climb. it's the climb. It's the climb. Yeah. It's the that's, climb. That's, that's the one. The theological climb. Yeah. The theological climb. So in in that sense, sorry, this is like really windy, and that's why I keep losing my place in our conversation. Um, but in that sense, it's not, you know, an overnight thing where all of a sudden you give up certainty and you feel really safe and peaceful the next day. Like there is a lot of grief and a lot of darkness and a lot of sort of feeling around in the shadows and trying to you know, hear those whispers and that those ghosts and that taunting and that teasing that I sort of talk about in the book and this sense of, you know, hauntology and all of that. Um, there, there is this time period where you feel so, you know, unsupported and um, un, untethered, I guess, in a sense. But once you move through some of those things that used to hold you so tightly, I do think, at least for me, uh, I started to experience a real sense of peace and freedom by not being caught up in so much certainty. For example, you know, being absolutely sure of afterlife constructs in terms of heaven and hell, you know, being absolutely sure, well, the cross meant this and, you know, this Bible verse means that. You know, once we start to let these things go and actually tread very lightly with a humility that is very much appropriate for things that <laughs> it's impossible to know with certainty about there is i think a sense of peace and safety that comes with that because you are truly leaning into your humanity and the fullness of of that and i i do think that is is safer now you know i'm you know i know and you know that not everybody would would agree with me there but i think the proof is in the living so 
you know, um, someone actually has to go through it and figure it out before they can decide if it's safe for them. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, we've talked, you mentioned deconstruction. I know that's a big topic in the book. Danny, we've talked about deconstruction on the podcast before. Yeah. Any additional thoughts now <clears throat> applying deconstruction to this context? I mean, uh, my thoughts are pretty simple that, you know, in the course of doing this podcast, hilariously, the I've had the opposite effect of what I expected. And I've found that I found so much peace with, yeah, great. The mega church is sucking up 20 million bucks a year, but there's one family in there that's getting a free pizza on Wednesdays. And that's, it matters that they get that. And um, I feel like, you know, I've gone through a period of deconstruction, although I never used that terminology. I always thought that was, I don't like you doing anything that's too pop culture. Um, but, and in a very circular way, I ended up back where somewhere where I started, which is odd, but yeah, not what, not what I had anticipated. Gotcha. Yeah. I have a, I have a lot of questions I wrote for this interview, but um, yeah, you did. I highlighted, you know? I highlighted some of the important ones. Cause I don't think yeah. I'm going to get to ask all of them. No, ask, uh, ask away. You, Maria, you kind of mentioned, um, the hauntology and you talk in your book a lot about God existing as an event instead of a being. I still have no idea what that means. Can you (laughs) please explain? Yeah. Well, in some sense, and you'll probably hate this answer and I'll give you more than this, but in some sense, we're really not even supposed to understand it, you know, in, in some, yeah, there goes that. I do hate it. I know, but I'm not going to leave you there. I'm just going to sort of preface with that, that, and I only say it because, language only can take us so far like words and communication and language and all of these things that we try and do to you know communicate what we're actually feeling and thinking and experiencing and going through you know it's never enough it it always falls short and so we do our best so event is another example of trying to speak of the unspeakable in ways that just aren't quite good enough, but, you know, we're all sort of doing our best. The philosophers are doing their best, you know, we're doing our best to try and understand it, whatnot. But essentially, um, event is, is theological, uh, philosophical language that has, you know, in the last 15 to 20 years been appropriated in theological circles. And essentially it's asking the question, you know, so we give an event a name, AKA God. But really what we want to know is what is happening in the name of the event. Um, Slovenian uh, uh, philosopher Slavik Zizek says it like this. He says, um, event is a traumatic intrusion of something new, which means unacceptable, which means that it's unacceptable for the predominant worldview. So essentially an event is an idea that comes to completely disrupt and interrupt the status quo. Okay, so anything we know, anything that we've sort of have um, an expectation for, anything that we have a precedent for that we can see coming on the horizon, event comes and smashes that to hell, essentially, in a way that we could have never expected. And the idea is that event comes to us again and again and again. And every time it does, it's different. And every time we engage event, we're different because of it. And so when we start to house event in language like God, and we domesticate it and we contain it and we name it, it essentially loses its, you know, transformative 
power, if I could even use, use that word power. So that again, a little crash course on event, it's one of these really kind of deep, weird things to think about that really can get your brain in a tongue tie. And I pepper it throughout the book just to sort of get the reader sort of, you know, having this language rolling around in their head. And I do my best to sort of talk about um, event and experience as opposed to object and being. And the reason why those terms are put up against each other is because, you know, essentially God exists for us because we believe God exists, right? We believe that God is this real entity, this, this agency, this force, this consciousness, you know, that acts on our behalf in the world and, and beyond. So in that sense, we have said God is being, and that is an objective reality. Language like event and experience come along to say, nope, <laughs> um, anything we want to say about quote unquote God, again, the language we use to house um, intrusions <laughs> um, in, in good ways is completely plastic in terms of being, you know, open to plasticity. It's completely, you know, movable. It is completely transient. Um, it is completely wild. Um, so that's why those words are sort of, uh, Put up against each other just to give not so that we all can become philosophers of you know really weird lofty concepts but to try and introduce something new into the imaginations of people who have held long time faith and beliefs that seem utterly immobile if that makes sense so this is just a little prick you know cerebrally intellectually faithfully to just try and open up people's imaginations to what else god could could be in the world. I think that maybe helped a little bit. Part of it is the word <laughs> event. Events yeah, sound singular and temporal to me. Sure. You did totally. say it's something that's ongoing, but it, it may just be that word to me. It sounds like it's just, this happens one time. But well, it shows up once, right? That's... And then it right. shows up again, and then it shows up again, and so on and so forth. And continues to haunt you. Indeed. Gotcha. And the sense, the sense of haunting, because you mentioned haunt, hauntology, you know, radical theologian John Caputo says, you know, once we've been haunted in this way, once our realities have been disrupted, it's like we've, we've gone to sleep and we've had a dream and in this dream we've been haunted um, and, and we've heard whispers and we know not of their meaning or really what's happening, but we wake up and we're just never the same again. And it's like that weird pebble in your shoe that you just can't you know, get rid of, it's, it's just this constant thing that has completely changed who you are and your reality, you know, irrevocably so. And Caputo says that if we try and ignore that, and if we try and resist that, it means, you know, to fall into to utter despair. Like there is simply no ignoring um, once those sorts of realities have been changed. And that's what event event does. It changes us. And if we try and ignore um, that it would, it would mean to fall into utter despair. I did like that, uh, Caputo quote about falling to utter despair. I wrote that down for my own personal notes. You took I, personal notes. Of course. I <laughs> read did, the whole Jenny. book. He's I a loved it. Student. I felt yeah. like I was a real good student, uh, <laughs> in my new Testament class. I think I got an A, maybe an A minus, which <laughs> I'm still a, a little upset student. about. Um, <laughs> I was the best kind of student. I never did any work. And somehow they gave me not one, but two degrees. Well, three, actually, man. Um, uh, you, you mentioned, Maria, that you had no story. The church told your story for you. Danny and I have kind of talked about 
um, conformity and how the church, what the church seems to want is conformity. And if you conform, then you show your, you belong and yeah, you're yeah. sanctified when you conform. Yeah, sure. You've did it. You've achieved extra Christianity when you're, sure. when you, yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in terms of, I don't know if I said it just like that, you know, I, I had no story. I did have a story, but it was, it was really heavily informed, um, you know, by very particular realities and a very particular set of values and aims in life that really, you know, is the, the bedrock of evangelicalism. So in that sense, it didn't feel like my story, what I was bringing to the table was important in any way. Um, you know, you're told you know, that there's not much good in you um, and anything about you really needs to sort of be brought before the cross and needs to be forgiven and needs, as you use the word sanctified, you know, be made right, be made righteous before God, you know, all of this very religious, um, you know, penal substitutionary atonement language. And so in that sense, your, your story gets glossed over. And if there are good things about you, it's because God has given you those gifts. And so God mm. needs to develop those gifts. And there, there's a real onus on this metaphysical reality to lead you in this way. I mean, talk about not feeling safe, talk about feeling lost and theologically lost and not even the, like lost in general, because you are literally relying on you know, uh, uh, an unseen reality that you are being told is a personal being that, you know, exists to love and lead you in this way. Um, I mean, talk about feeling around in the dark. So in that sense, there's not a lot of attention and care paid to your story, but what God's story is and how you can join this God in their story. Now, in some sense, that sounds really beautiful. Oh, let's join God in the work that God's doing in the world. Sure. But if your God is a wrath vengeful, judgmental, I'm sending you to hell if you don't choose me, you know, um, you know, uh, th this, this is not, this is not a God we want to join in their work in the world. Speak for yourself. I'm game. <laughs> uh, with that, I think we're going to jump into an ad and we'll be right back. Well, let's, uh, let's take a break for our ad here. Uh, we just want to say how grateful we are for another yeah. new sponsor another um, new sponsor we i mean our, the team over at all pod media is killing it getting us these new sponsors who do we thank have? you all pod media for bringing on hybel hustlers university correct hybel hustlers university is a revolutionary one half week online course we're not really sure how long a half of a week is no is it four days five days because there's seven days in a full week uh, so we're, who knows, but it's a one half week online course that will teach it's, you what Danny it's, it's all about engaging with the mystery, right? Mm. That's that's, so it starts with the length of the course. We are engaging with the mystery. This course, Heibel's Hustlers University teaches you one amazing thing. And it's super short. It's really succinct and it gets to the point mm -hmm. how to start your own mega church that you can use to extract capital out of tax-free yes. to build a real estate empire. Beautiful. That's right. And it's only a half a week. That's right. And it, it only costs $1,199.99. That's right. And if you use code church is canceled, the full name of the podcast code church is canceled. It's $2,100. That's right. The price goes up by 10%. Hold on. Is that? Oh, the price goes up. That's right. Yeah, it's called a reverse discount code. They're new. They're they're in style. Okay. They're hipster. 
Inflation, baby. Thanks, Biden. All right. So that is, I I can't, I mean, I am honored to be sponsored by Hybels Hustlers University. Um, And if you are thinking of ways to get out of your current financial situation, you're thinking of side gigs, getting a job, saving money, paying off your high interest credit cards. Forget about all that. Taking Financial Peace University. Forget about all of that. You need to sign up for this course today and use code church is canceled for that reverse discount. Mm-hmm. You will be on your way to starting a mega church that may or may not completely discredit the gospel going forward. But in the process, you will build a real estate empire. Wow. What a great sponsor. Yes. Hustlers, Hustlers University. That's right. Thank you for, for sponsoring us. That's right. Also, this has nothing to do with or any relation to Bill Hybels or the government. <laughs> okay, so to jump back in uh, after our sponsor, which we're so grateful to have, we correct just love having sponsors. Um, Maria, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, story and how mm-hmm. your story had been. <laughs> Danny's excited to continue. <laughs> We, uh, how your story had been so influenced by evangelical culture. You talk a little bit about um, being a professor at NCU. You talk about uh, your marriage and your divorce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was curious to see how much of your story plays into what you are thinking about and talking about now and writing about in your book. Um, I think specifically around your divorce and to be too personal, kind of pointed. I'm not saying this, but I could see how evangelicals in the evangelical mindset would say, oh, well, she was divorced. She knows that's not cool and that's (laughs) sinful. So obviously, instead of facing her sins and repenting and doing the right thing, she just decided to leave and start her Mm -hmm. own. What would you say to that? Um, nothing. I, I would, so I'll engage you guys. I mean, I wrote about my divorce in the book because it's actually a really important part of my life and my story. And I would never Mm -hmm. divorce, speaking of divorce, I would never divorce my story from my uh, theological path. It's just, Mm -hmm. you can't do it. I can't do it. And, you know, it's just not who we are to, you know, disintegrate our stories in that manner. But if someone came up to me and asked me that question from that point of view, I would not engage this at all. Like this is this is a fool's errand. This is this is a pointless conversation to engage in with someone like that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I wouldn't engage well, that with I, them. I wanted but, to uh, just I'll take your question because I, I, did I just wanted to ask, you know, you're someone who got divorced. Um, sure. So it would seem that you just said took your ball and went home and said, well, if I'm just sure kidding. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see no, where that, that was sense. going? All right. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it like I said, it's it's very difficult to to talk about you know our um, our faith journeys and our faith transitions without you know constantly keeping it in step with like our life events. Now, my my divorce was a big life event, but was it my only life event? No. Was it my only life event happening at that time? No. Did um, 
my, because in, in the book, especially the first chapter, the first chapter, as you guys know, is fairly autobiographical because I really wanted to give people an idea of where I was coming from. You know, my story is not an uncommon one in terms of coming out of evangelicalism and what it looks like to think through those things and, you know, just start to churn and, and spiral into the future with some new theological ideas that change us. And so, you know, you know, I, I started out as a young Catholic girl in an Italian American community in New York. In Staten and, Island. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Long Island. Island. not close from that and i was very different <laughs> i i know <laughs> i know that i know that it it just it's uh yeah. it's hurtful from people from long island to be called from staten island which is precisely why i did that yeah so. i mean for me it's all like whatever yeah, it doesn't matter but um i i hear what you're saying and that is a very real thing so good on I you know. for knowing that. but you know yeah. i i have a very i have a very diverse um, you know, faith background in terms of my Christianity and my theological homes within traditional Christianity. So I was Catholic for my whole childhood. I made all the sacraments, you know, then um, we moved to an evangelical church that was very, fairly charismatic, uh, did all the Jesus things for all those years of my youth. And then I went to a Bible college that was fully assemblies of God, fully Pentecostal, really engaging in heavy Pentecostal theology and lifestyle for several years, then moving on from that to becoming progressive evangelical to post-evangelical to now post-Christian. So it wasn't a matter of like, oh, I got a divorce. I don't want to be with this God anymore or this community. I'm going to do my own thing. This, this whole situation was a very slow melt, but always driven by my curiosity of what is out there? What is this thing I'm feeling? What is it? What, what am I experiencing from a young girl walking into a Catholic cathedral of like, oh, wow, like there's something really big and holy in here and it's amazing. And what is it? And I need to know. And, you know, evangelical youth group, oh, it's Jesus. And Jesus loves me and saved me, you know, to Pentecostalism. Oh yes. I get this special prayer language and I get to worship like this. And this is so amazing. And do you mean, oh wait, God really cares about social justice. I'm going to move in this direction. You know what I mean? So it, it really wasn't just this like one main event that change it all and split it all down the middle. Like we're the, the summation of our parts and our stories. But I think for me, the divorce was so important because um, that marriage was one unhappy for a very long time, not because he was a bad guy or I was a bad person. Um, we just were not meant to be in a marriage together. And it was a product of an evangelical culture and expectation at the time. And we did our best, but it was just not a good situation. And I think, you know, um, as you're going through something that is really painful and you're not being honest about it and you're just trying to move through it and say, everything's fine, I'm fine, it's all okay. And all of these things that you relied on that said, no, it is going to be okay. Like God has your future. He has your marriage. And I'm using he for, you know, intentionally because, right, those evangelical God constructs are very gendered <laughs> um, and very masculine. Um, and all of a sudden, this this God. That we all know God has a penis, though. Come yeah. On. Okay. Well, that's what know, I'm I saying. I didn't want to say it, but <laughs> um, right. you know, this this God construct starts to vaporize into the background, and and really starts to sort of, in a sense, you know, wash wash their hands of of whatever it is you're doing in your life and your future. You know, you start to ask questions of, am I barking up the right theological tree here? And that doesn't mean that I was angry or bitter or like, you know, holding my fist up to the sky. God, why did you, it was just like, you know what? All of these things I relied on are really starting to break down. 
And they're breaking down in ways that make sense, not necessarily emotional ways. And it took years. So it wasn't just like, oh, I'm divorced. I'm, I'm changing my whole life and my theological outlook. It just happened, you know, that way. And when the divorce happened, it was the moment in time where I thought, you know what? Um, I was really unhappy in this marriage and I've been unhappy in my life for a long time in several different areas. Um, because when you're in a marriage that's really unhappy, it tends to make other areas of, you can't, you can't just compartmentalize a, a, a bad marriage, right? It affects everything. And so I'm, I get out of this marriage and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be totally free and totally liberated. And I'm going to like think through everything and all of these constructs that failed me, you know, my, my marriage, um, my evangelical community, my, my belief system. And mind you, I was well progressive and post-evangelical by this point. So it's not like I was some little fundamental girl who was shook. Um, I was already in seminary. I was already thinking through these things, but I just thought I am never, ever going to be held by anything that I don't want to be held by ever again, whether it's an unhappy marriage or, an unhappy God or, you know, a, a geographic location, you know, I, I just wanted more of life and that meant more of all of life. So that's how the divorce fits into all of this. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I know that's more of a personal thing. Well, I, I talk um, about it in the book, so it's totally all there you, for people to you, jump into. You do. And I, I think we saw you both, Danny and I, in Chicago that yeah, weekend we that were... you mentioned you were on the train yes. going to Chicago. Yeah, yeah. We saw you yes. that weekend. I had no idea all that was going on. I think you, you told me later. So that was it. Um, yeah. So definitely an important piece. But like you said, we can't like it sounds like we can't divorce our story from our faith. Yeah. Our faith doesn't uh, occur in a vacuum. The yeah. whole story is important. Mm -hmm. And I know it started very early on for you. You mentioned being in uh, church camp and asking about the book of life <laughs> and saying, well, what if my name's not really written in the book of life? I just think it is uh, because why would God write it and then erase it? He would know that I'm <laughs> going to change my mind later. So he probably just never wrote it down. And the youth leaders like, didn't know how to respond oh, to that. All. So like, well, just forget questions. about it. Don't think about that. Yeah. It, it, God's got it all under control. No, I'm, I had so many questions as, as a young girl, as a young Christian, I was always a little bit of a thinker and I was always super curious and, um, yeah, they, it, it, not only did, you know, people in my life at the time not know what to do or how to answer these questions, but eventually I just stopped asking the questions. Eventually I got so um, embedded in and entangled in a culture that um, didn't ask questions because God's ways are higher and God's ways are more mysterious and, you know, God's taking care of everything and we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry what's going to happen tomorrow because God's got us type of thing. And, and that, that theology, that outlook of life is really toxic and can get people into a lot of trouble because you're just not taking responsibility for yourself or your life. But yeah, you eventually um, squelch the questions and that curiosity gets, um, you know, dimmed and, and burnt out and all that. I think you are to change gears a little bit. You had a quote mm -hmm. that, uh, just really triggered Danny. He got really triggered. And so he has a bone to pick with you <laughs> about know, so what you said about you. capitalism. Danny, would you like to pick that bone? Well, I mean, in chapter two, Brett prepped these questions for me. So he's teeing this up. But <laughs> because I wasn't going to read this book, we all know that. Um, uh, in chapter two, you say capitalism has failed us and that digital capitalism has fragmented us. Now on this doll here, can you, where did I put it? Well, can you show us where capitalism specifically hurt you? 
I totally see the tree you're barking up. Let me just say this. Um, that section of the book, it was not an indictment on capitalism and it was not to make a personal opinion known on capitalism. The reason why I bring up digital capitalism is because I am referencing an Italian worker activist um, who, you know, came of age, if you will, in the 70s to fight for the rights of workers in Italy and, and is now, um, you know, a, a, a you know, um, a formidable philosopher in his own right. And so he talks about what happens when the future has been completely decimated. What happens when, you know, the 20th century can no longer make good on its promises of the 21st century? What happens when growth is completely unbridled and unfettered and it cannot sustain a future? And he does all of this couched in a critique of not only capitalism with digital capitalism, because he says digital capitalism essentially disintegrates a community um, and, and we lose social cohesion. Now, for me, I thought this was a great example of the promises of Christianity and how the promises of traditional Western Christianity simply cannot deliver into the 21st century. That if you look at all the statistics across the board, it's not an opinion, like it's proven in, in the data. And I go into some of those numbers um, in chapter two, just to kind of set us up for the rest of the book. And, you know, the, the, culture that we're sort of working out of here. So that is why I talk about Franco Berardi. And that is why I even mentioned capitalism, because th those are his words. And I say, well, this is what he's saying about digital capitalism. But actually, like, this is what happens when a future has just blown up as a result of anything. This is what it looks like to sit in the rubble of anything. So, you know, I don't really care to talk about capitalism in the book, per uh, se. Clearly. I'm sort of just referencing. <laughs> But I can tell you're a fan and that's okay. I don't I don't need to say I'm a fan or not. It's totally yeah. not my axe to grind at the moment. Maybe in the next book. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll just leave that one there. <laughs> Is that satisfying? No. Not. <laughs> not at all. But we're I'm gonna satisfied. Leave I mean, I could I'm I satisfied. I could that. invite you, Danny. I could invite you to talk about capitalism, but I would not be a good conversation partner for you. Um, I don't care though. That's the thing is like I don't I just simply uninterested in that conversation with people well, who don't know what same. they're saying. <laughs> yeah. Same. But I, there is something that I where I probably where we do uh, perhaps agree. Um you say that um patriotism has become enmeshed with what it means to be a follower of Jesus and that Christian nationalism is on the rise. Now I, I have a, I mean, I, I, we I might did an agree. episode about this. Yeah. I might agree with yeah. you, but what is the problem with people having a sense of community and identity uh, within the context of being American and Christian at the same time? Yeah. Uh, inherently, is there an issue in claiming an identity? No, it's again, it's not possible to go through life as a human without claiming some kind of border nationality, ethnicity, you know, whatever you want to say. When I, I make a slight nod to Christian nationalism in chapter two, because it is, in my opinion, one of um, four main events that happened in the 20th century that is really affecting what we're seeing happening with Christianity in America at the moment. So if you want to read an indictment on Christian nationalism, I could give you several books off the top of my head right now. Um, but that is not what I was doing, even though I have my own opinions on Christian nationalism, certainly. Um, it was not a critique. It was a setting up of 
This is what's uh, happened in the last half a century with Christianity. Here's what we have with Christian nationalism, the religious right, the death of God movement, 9-11 did crazy amounts of things to um, resurge, you know, interest in religious fundamentalism. Like I was naming several events that in my opinion really kind of brought us to where we are in 2023 <laughs> with some of these really dark statistics uh, that we're seeing in terms of Christianity and belief and faith in the West, but predominantly, of course, in, in the U.S. So that was the yeah. point. I mean, that is a subject that we have um, discussed on this podcast. So. Yeah. yeah. And it is an important one, one to discuss for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I had pretty scathing, I had a pretty scathing indictment of the, of the whole concept, but that's uh, neither here nor there in the context of this dialogue, I think so. Yeah, we uh, well, we on ch at uh, Churches Canceled Podcast do tend to indict absolutely everyone and everything, <laughs> uh, which it seems Maria is not doing in her book here. Well, so, Brett, uh, Brett's doing the indicting. <laughs> I'm saying everything's cool, man. Let's all just be friends. But well, yeah. to be fair, I'm I'm more talking past things. Yeah, no, I get it. You know. Like yeah. if someone came up to, and I talk about this a little bit in my book, like people try and trap me all the time and like, well, what do you believe about this? And what do you think about this? And Brett and I have had these conversations in the past. Um, and I, th these are conversations I'm totally uninterested in and questions I have no desire to, to answer. And it's not because I don't have some personal thoughts about those things, but I, this, you, you are asking me the wrong question. We are having the wrong conversation. This is not going to yield theological transformation or any other transformation for that matter. So I, I, in that sense, I do talk past things. I'm, I'm transcending conversations that go back and forth like a ping pong match where we don't get anywhere. Mm, yeah. you know, I'm hopping that track. That I, the one thing I do indict in my book is circles, right? I, I talk about the, the circles piece sure. and no more circles and we're hopping that You want track. more circles or no more circles. <laughs> I, I don't yeah, know. No more. No more circles. Exactly. You, uh, Chapter one. I'll ask the, you, uh, sorry, Danny. No, I mean, one of the things I talk about on this podcast is having rejected the concept of democracy and in its, in its, in its entirety. And part of that is I don't, ha I don't care about explaining anything to anyone or defending my ideas to anyone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If people don't like it. They don't agree. Actually, yeah. when we were in Chicago, that was one thing, like I was explaining some of my, theology and at that time you were like that's silly and um did i say that i mean well how many i years were like eight yeah, years maybe yeah that? i don't know if that's if you use the words that silly it might have been something else but um it, i find it hilarious that this is we all ended up I, back right here so <laughs> it's full circle if you will um yeah we did it me off the podcast for that yeah <laughs> all right <laughs> Uh, I, I have a question that you, you probably will engage uh, with here, mm -hmm. uh, Maria. It's going to be a two-parter. So when, if you, when you tell someone you're Christian, they, they you know, usually know what you mean. Sure. Um, I had a guy come into my job, doesn't know me at all the other day. He was a pastor, and he's like, are you a Christian? And I was just like, I'm not going to get into it with this guy. So, <laughs> yep, absolutely. And you just said, okay, good. Like, there's, but there's so many like uh, presuppositions and things built into that, but people kind of know what you mean. But mm -hmm. when you say you're post-Christian, you explained what it is, but how could you, would someone just give them the real quick answer when they say, well, I, how do you tell someone, how do you come out and how do you come out to people and say, I'm post-Christian? How do you explain that? Uh, that's part one. I'll ask part two later, actually separate. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, 
you know, it's a, it's a weird thing. I haven't had to answer a question like that for a, like, nobody's walked up to me in a long time and said, you know, what are you, you know, are you a Christian? Are you atheist? Are you this or that? Um, well, you know, because so like to, to reframe it, I was telling people, oh yeah, we're going to having this uh, guest on yeah. the podcast and uh, she has a book about post-Christianity. They say, what is that? And I Got can't it. do a good job explaining it. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I, I mostly just say, um, you know, if, if people want to label me as Christian, that's fine. But I also say, you know, as, as a theologian, I'm engaging Christianity after, you know, past traditional notions of what people usually think about Christianity. And if people want the quick answer, they go, okay, that's curious, whatever. They stop there. If they want to talk more, I'm, I'm happy to do that. But, you know, again, it's, it's about, um, changing our orientation to the whole thing, um, and engaging with it completely differently and beyond any way we, we might've thought was possible. You know, usually it's engage Christianity this way and live it out this way, or you're an atheist or at best agnostic. And we just don't have to deal with those, um, awful categories anymore. We know we shouldn't have to. So. Yeah. You did say it's kind of a, a trip down a rabbit hole. Uh, we're following the Mad Hatter in ways mm -hmm. and that we, uh, we arrive at no particular destination uh, as kind of, as you mentioned earlier, we're not really trying to arrive anywhere. It's about, it's about the journey. So maybe the fact that we can't answer that question when someone says, well, what are you? Maybe that makes sense. Well, you know, and I talk a lot about, cause you know, I don't, I, I haven't put out a book, you know, for our listeners, I, I haven't put out a book that just says like, Oh, like enjoy the journey, man. Like that's kind of what it's all about. You know, um, maybe God exists, maybe God doesn't, but I'm really, you know, I set it up by talking a little bit about my story. So maybe people can identify bits of their story in mind mm -hmm. somewhere. Cause it's not an uncommon one, but I'm really inviting people into, you know, a new theological imagination. You know, I talk a lot about radical theology and what it means to talk about God as, as being, um, as event and as experience, you know, I talk about what it looks like to go from a knowable God to an unknowable one from a, you know, a, a conditional God to, to an unconditional one from a very possible reality of God to an impossible one and why these things are important. And, you know, um, what it looks like to talk about God in terms of weakness and folly and depth, as opposed to very, the high and mighty God, you know, I talk about deconstruction a la Jacques Derrida, because it is this word that is such a buzzword right now. Um, but if people knew, and I'm not really sure how deconstruction got attributed to the pop culture conversation on leaving Christianity or at the very least evangelicalism, but true philosophical deconstruction is amazingly exciting. And it, invites us into, you know, this, this vast, you know, wildness of event of this sense of, you know, um, perhaps, which is really, you know, what people like John Caputo would say is the only way to engage the future by saying, perhaps, perhaps it is all possible or perhaps not. It's just, it's a sense of just holding so much loosely, but it is not something, it's something to hold loosely, but it's not something to take lightly. And so my book is really trying to take some, you know, as people might have guessed, some really lofty ideas that tend to stay in the ivory tower tucked away, um, never really making it to, you know, again, pop culture where these ideas 
if engaged, could be really useful and transformative and meaningful. I'm trying to take some of that stuff and and dispense it and make it accessible. Like you said in the beginning of the podcast, Brett, you know, you said, you know, I've read a couple of these books here and there over the last several years, but you put it in a way where you're synthesizing everything and you're serving it up and you're making it make yeah, sense. You did. And you're in a, <clears throat> in that sense, you're you're my ideal reader because I want to take a lot of these resources where you know, most people are not going to go to seminary or go to higher levels of university or get their heads in theology. But, you know, I want to take all the work that I've done for the past, you know, 10 or 15 years and put it in this book and say, you know, engage this, like, even if it throws your mind for a total spin, like, let it challenge you. Like there's some things people read the book and go, oh yeah, that resonates. I get it. And there are going to be some things where it's like, oh my God, I don't really understand that at all. Well, good. Like, I want you to feel Mm -hmm. both and Mm. so- I want to take all these concepts and stuff them back in the ivory tower and then burn it down. <laughs> but that's just me. That is an Danny's, option. You could do that. Standing usual there are approach. Out there that want to do it. That want to. Yeah. That want to do that. Yeah. I, I said that was a two-part question. Um, kind of, kind of not. So this is post-Christianity. This is the book you've written. Take it um, easy with the praise hands there. <laughs> I, <laughs> You mentioned pastoring people through the grief and loss of faith. And you definitely helped to do that for me Mm. at various points in my life, whether you know it or not. So thank you for being there when you were needed. Um, Now I don't so much feel the grief and loss as I struggle not to argue with or make fun of both atheists and Christians. Can you point me to a better way? Is there a, a, a certain, a better way to evangelize, if you will, like evangelize this kind of stuff that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, if you if you're trying out. to help others understand post Christianity, how do you reach them without arguing or making fun of people? You know, when I mean having fun, like and making fun is like one thing, but you know, if if you're constantly um, just trying to tear down one set of beliefs, like it's, it's just not helpful. Like there's just nothing generative, um, about that or, um, so, you know, I, I know that there are a lot of people who are bitter and who are angry and who have been through trauma and who have been abused. And, um, if, if that is the case, you know, if you've been through a trauma in a church context, like, you know, you need to pursue therapy. Like you need to pursue a sense of like wholeness and healing and, the work needs to be done there. You know, if you so feel if you're like at you, Ted Haggard's church and he got a little too close to you. Well, that's one okay. example that could actually go into abuse. Like if you've, if you really feel like you've been abused and laws have been broken, like that kind of thing needs to be held accountable. Like in a the guy brushes up needs- against you one time and all of a sudden he's a convict. <laughs> I mean, he just wanted these, to say how. These- <laughs> These things have to be pursued in like certain, you know, ways. But if you just want to sit around and say like, oh, I've, I've been done so wrong. I've been done so dirty by the church and just go on and on about like, this is not helpful. And this is why I talk past these conversations because you can do that. But, but, but like I said, there's nothing generative or regenerative um, about that conversation. So it's okay to be there for a little while because that is part of the grief process, that anger um, and that rage, but, but you do have to go on and, and you do have to move past it. In some, some situations, maybe you'll need proper therapy. There are a lot of therapists out there who are specializing um, in religious trauma syndrome. You know, that's really up and coming, 
but um, in terms of just talking about the, I mean, this, this is how the word gets out. People like me, you know, will, will write a book about something or you go, you know, lecture someplace or do, you know, work in, in some way or, you know, whatever it is, just having those conversations. And that's why, even though I know, Danny, you said, you're not really interested in like things that pop culture grabs onto, you know, even though this, um, you know, interested isn't the right word. It's so boring. That's a better like way. I just, it's, if you just, if you, if it only gave you pause to think about it now, because everyone else is thinking about it, Sure. I feel like we're all stupid. Well, it doesn't all... seem authentic either. That's that's a better way to put it. It seems yeah. really like I you know. I I hear you. I've actually talked to people on both sides of this, like people who literally cannot stand the deconstruction crowd at the moment, and not because they're like conservative evangelicals and they want to buy back their doubt or whatever. It's it's just because they just don't like how the conversation is being handled. And then of course, like this people who are pro deconstruction, whatever for me, I kind of see both sides and I have a lot of time for people um, who are generally genuine, genuinely seeking because they've been hurt and they're feeling a loss of identity and there there's grief and they're trying to anchor themselves to a movement because they were anchored to a movement that have failed them in some way. Um, and so you know, when something becomes popular because, oh, well, someone's saying this and now everyone's saying it because they're grabbing onto what this person said. Sometimes you need someone like me to come along and say, you know, well, this is this is how we're talking about this stuff now. And I know we haven't used this language in this kind of way, but it might be really helpful to talk about God in this way as opposed to that way. And maybe people grab onto it and they say, oh, I really like that set of, of language. I like that set of words. I like what you... So we can't really criticize i think too much for you know people saying oh they're they're giving creed and they're they're giving substance and they're they're giving articulation to things i've been feeling but haven't been able to articulate myself like i think that's okay but um i mean essentially it just comes down to a lot of people have experienced a lot of brokenness out of stories that we're we're very familiar with so i do i do have time for it i do um but again it's it, you know, if someone, if someone came to me and, you know, if, uh, I, I see, I see people throw stuff on social media all the time. That is just so prickly. And so, um, to me, it's self-absorbed. I think that's probably the yeah, best way sure. to describe it is sure. like, it's so self-involved and, uh, just, a, as a personal temperament, I just don't have patience for, like, hey, man, there's more to yeah. it than not only is there more to it than you, it just yeah. doesn't matter that much that like. So somebody said something you disagreed with or what have you, and it hurt your feelings. We all get our feelings hurt. That's sure. life. Yeah. Obviously, if somebody touched you, that's a different thing. But sure. yeah. right. no, and I mean, I totally get that. And I think that's why I said a little while ago, like I never had that moment, you guys, where I like put my hand to the sky and said, God, how, how dare you? How, how could you? It was never that. It was just like at least that I could understand. I don't know what happened for the last hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you can watch the playback and get a better a better handle uh, on it. That's right. there, there was like there was never this moment of like, oh, um, you know, you you disappointed me and you weren't there for me, so I'm out. It was really a slow churn and change into something else, into the next part of my engagement with my Christianity as I see it. You know, and that's that's the story I'm sort of sticking to. Like nobody gets to tell me I'm not a Christian. Nobody gets to tell me that like I'm not engaging my faith well and meaningful. Do you, do you know what I mean? But people try. 
but but they don't get to do that. So I, I do understand the the self-absorbed piece. I did not have that moment where I was like, oh my God, how could you do? I took responsibility well, that, for what was that, happening that in my wasn't, life. And I wasn't change. leveling an accusation. I was just saying like, that's part of where the deconstruction dialogue for me falls off the yeah. rails is so self-absorbed. Yeah. And it's from a group of people who who dialogue about it in a way that's self-absorbed who are constantly talking about how everyone else is so selfish and self-absorbed. And that's like an ax they have to grind and their inability to see their own hypocrisy in that regard also makes me want to just bop them over the head with a office chair. I've never done that before, (laughs) but I mean, no, I mean, I, but the the other thing we have to remember about the self-absorbed, because I will agree with you, there are like huge parts of the current deconstruction conversation that is self-absorbed, which is why I wanted to devote quite a bit of my book to, I think deconstruction that is the opposite of self self absorbed and how maybe we should be using it or in in a sense how it was birthed to be used, um, but we have to remember that the self absorption piece just gets translated. Like, what's more self absorbed than like evangelical theology, believing that it's all about you and God's will for your life? Like, those habits don't die hard. Like, uh, don't, <laughs> don't die easy. They die really hard. You can't just pick someone. Up. This is where like it becomes impossible to divorce, you know, your story, aka how your brain has been shaped and formed in some really formative years of one's childhood or youth around these ideas. So, you know, you pick someone out of out of evangelicals and you put them down in a more progressive context, they're still going to feel that, you know, centering themselves in that story because that's what they were taught to do. Um, and they're in, in that sense, there's some unlearning that needs to happen. And that is why I think it's so important to tread lightly, to tread with the sense of theological humility and hermeneutical humility, how we interpret, how we engage. Like, it's just, it's just, it's tough out there. Um, it's tough. And I get I it. Did. I did have one more question I wanted to ask guys. I know we're running uh, low on time here. Um, in your epilogue, you dare us to be like Satan. Can you explain <laughs> that? That's what you did. Can you explain that, that without I being canceled? That, That's what you said. <laughs> I'm sticking to it. Danny, did you read the epilogue? Because that's like no. the one part. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, it's I super just, short. You're really yeah. going to like it. I'll I pass, but okay. Give it, give it a shot. All right. Give it a shot. Um, no. So uh, yeah, the, the epilogue is all about this crazy memory. I, I had when I was a child of sitting in the back seat and having this, you know, moment of like, well, everyone tells me I should pray to Jesus for people. I love to get saved so that everyone can go to heaven. And I was a little girl and this makes sense. So I'm praying for people who aren't going to church and I'm praying for my friends and a family member here and there, blah, blah, blah. So I just asked my mom, I said, well, if this is the case, like, shouldn't we be praying for the devil to get saved? Like, if God gave the devil forgiveness and you just told me that God wants everybody to be forgiven and to be in heaven with him and blah, blah, blah. Like, shouldn't we be praying for this reality? And it was like, no, no, no. Like that is the one person you should not like waste your prayers on, you know? And it was this, and, and I didn't, I stopped. I stopped praying for the devil. I stopped having kind of any hope, but it didn't make sense. Well, that's that why he's not of, saved yet. You, you know, the devil turned and that, that would alleviate all of our problems. Um, but I, but I don't say in the book that we should be like Satan. But, you know, I do, I do challenge us to sort of rethink, um, you know, so, so many things that we were told about um, ideology and um, holiness and um, what it looks like to be in right relationship with, with yourself and your community and, you know, what it looks like to subvert ideas that used to be so solid and longstanding, but actually 
can't really hold up. And so what does it look like if we started praying devilish prayers, uh, not in like a traditional way we pray, but, you know, as a metaphor in our life to pray, AKA dream, imagine, wonder, pursue things that, you know, were only beyond our wildest dreams. Um, and so that is essentially what I am challenging not to be like the person we have come to know as, you know, the devil in the Sorry if I misquoted you there. <laughs> Thank you for but clarifying. I like it. <laughs> Danny, do you have anything else? Yeah, I just wanted to close this out by saying, Maria, thank you for coming on. You're canceled. Brett, also you're canceled. <laughs> Danny, you are also canceled. Oh, uh, thank you so much. I finally everyone, belong. Everyone, the, uh, the book is Safer Than the Known Way. Uh, by uh, the author, Dr. Bombay. Nope, Dr. Maria Francesca <laughs> French. Thank you so much Thank for joining you. us. We'll Thanks have a so link much. in the description for the book when it becomes available. It is available. It so is available. That's what I meant. Whatever. <laughs> Where can they get it? Um, they can get it wherever Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, all of this. If you get it from Amazon, would love a rate and review. Really important to new authors like myself. And if you want to follow what I'm up to, head to my website, MariaFrancescaFrench.com. Anything I'm involved in, my social media, my Patreon, if you want to, you know, get in touch with me in some way, it's all there. So would love to hear from anybody. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.